0: Hey, this is Greg Knapp. Welcome to the podcast.
1: You know how you sometimes feel stuck? Like you're drifting through life, going through the motions? You
0: know you were created for something more, that an average life just isn't enough for you. Then you're in the right place. Find your purpose. Live your passion. Let's go. Okay, I've got one habit for you that's hurting your relationships and your career. I've focused on this because it's something that I've got a problem with. See, most of us focus on what we need to do to be successful, and that's good. But what if some of the things we're doing are actually holding us back? I mean, shouldn't we work on that too? You know, I noticed something this week. I really avoid people who complain, don't you? I mean, it gets on your nerves after a while. And so then I started realizing, uh, Greg, you know who really complains a lot? You. Yeah, I complain too much. So I started thinking, all right. Am I losing friends? Am I losing influence every time I complain? Are people avoiding me because of that? How about you? If the answer is, yeah, maybe we complain too much, then what can we do to complain less? I love this quote from Vic Gold. He said, the squeaking wheel doesn't always get the grease. Sometimes it gets replaced. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Complain enough. Maybe you're going to be replaced as somebody else's BFF. See, I've got a friend who complains to me all the time, and I, I've tried to be the nice friend, right? I've been the empathetic sounding board. I tried to help him come up with ideas. You know, I'm a guy, I'm a fixer. So I try to come up with ideas and solutions to his problems. Sometimes I just nod and hmm, 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 and then reflect back to him what he says. And, I mean, dude, I've tried everything, but none of it seems to help. And so then the next day, it repeats itself. It's every day. And so now I'm starting to find ways to avoid this guy. I mean, I'm finding myself looking for ways to avoid a grown man. This is not healthy behavior. I don't think his boss is starting to feel that way. I've seen his boss like walk the other direction when he sees this guy. I don't understand how he can't see that this constant complaining behavior he has is actually hurting him. And I don't understand. How does that not make you miserable? I mean, if you're sitting around complaining all the time, doesn't that start to make you miserable? And like I said, I know I'm complaining too much. And when I catch myself doing it, you know how I normally catch myself doing it? I notice that I'm feeling like crap. And when I notice I'm feeling like crap, I start to think, what am I doing that's making me feel like crap? And quite often it's the complaining. Back to this other guy, I'm like, so what is he possibly getting out of all this complaining? Because you're getting something out of it if you're doing it. If you keep doing something, you're getting something out of it. So what is he getting out of it that keeps him doing something that is this hurtful to him and to his job? So, of course, as I'm up there on my high horse looking down on this guy, it slowly dawned on me that I do this too, as we've been talking about. And, of course, it's even worse for me because I'm a guy who blogs about personal development all the time. And I do podcasts on it. And I give speeches on it. So what excuse do I have? I don't have one. But here's the bottom line. Look, we all complain at times. And it can really hurt our relationships in and out of the workplace. So why do we keep doing it? Well, because it has some positive outcomes for you. What? You get a positive outcomes from it? Yes, you can. It makes us feel better by what we call venting or gossiping. Someone may actually validate our feelings. That makes us feel a little better. It, sometimes it even leads to somebody else fixing the problem for us. And the other people out there who are complaining, you notice you kind of fit in better with them when you jump in and start complaining too. That's a positive. But here's the thing. Those short-term and long-term consequences that you get out of complaining are way worse than the short-term benefit you get from it. Here are some of the problems with it. You lose friends. People start to avoid you. It can lead to some difficulty in your home life, I think some people have noticed. You can be passed over for a promotion. You can even be fired for this. You can get fewer clients, fewer sales, and it contributes to a really bad attitude and a miserable life. And I bet you could add some to this list. I mean, when you get in that cycle of complaining, what bad things happen in your life? Well, Greg, hold on a second now. Sometimes I really need to complain. I mean, you don't understand what I'm dealing with on a daily basis. Listen, I'm not the complaining Nazi. I get it. Sometimes you do need to let off a little steam. Sometimes you need to talk to that one person who understands just exactly what you're going through. But listen, how about just greatly reducing your complaints and only doing the complaining in a way that will actually help you? J.F. von Schiller said this. He cannot complain of a hard sentence who has made master of his own fate. Huh? means, dude, you're in charge of your life. Quit complaining about it. Fix it. So here's some action steps on this one. One, keep track of every time you complain for just one week. I know it sounds like a lot to do, but just for one week, keep track. Every time you complain, write it down. First of all, when you start writing it down, you're going to realize how much you complain and you're going to start doing it less. But you need to know if this is a real problem for you. You might be shocked how much you complain when you start keeping track of this. Number two, start the day with the right mindset. I mean, you got to focus on the good things in your life. Who loves you, baby? Who do you love? What makes you smile? And you can find time to do this right when you wake up or on your commute into work. Turn off the radio and start doing this. Just list what you're grateful for. Pray a little bit. And before you poo-poo this, I will not be poo-pooed! Before you poo-poo this, actually try it. Because you're going to say, wow, that Greg guy every once in a while knows what he's talking about. And number three on the action steps, when you're about to complain, stop yourself. Make sure you're really thinking logically about the problem and responding rationally to it. In other words, this always happens to me. This will never work. Why does he always do that? All those things are illogical. Nothing always happens. It doesn't always happen to you. And it never does this. Those kind of words just set you up for a bad situation. So think logically about the problem, respond rationally to it. Number four, turn your complaint into an idea for a solution. My dad always told me, I'm not going to listen to you complain unless you also give me a potential solution to the problem. So are you talking to the right person to fix it? Friends, family, bosses, everybody loves somebody who has a solution to the problem. And you might be surprised how often your solution or even something close to it is actually implemented when you come up with it. And even if it isn't, then people at least see you as a positive solution-oriented person instead of the whiner who complains all the time. And then five, find a complaint friend if you really have to vent. Just one. And you guys give each other the complaints and then you go about your day. My wife and I do this for each other. We use each other to vent the uh, big things that really tick us off. And that way we don't complain to everybody else. But you do have to be careful here. You still need to limit how much you complain to that complaint friend. or You're going to drive them crazy. And finally, i got a question for you. I love it when you answer questions. Email me. What techniques do you use to minimize your complaining? Email address, greg at gregorybnap.com. That's B is in boy, K-N-A, P-P as in Peter and, Paul.com. and I put it in the show notes, too. I want to give you a free gift just for listening to the podcast. It's my book, Go. So just go to gregorybnap.com slash gofree. The link is in the show notes, too. On to section two. I had a listener email me this question. Greg, here's what I don't get. I tried to change. I really did. And it didn't work. How come? Okay, that's going to be tough because I don't know everything about you. But let me start with some tough love. If you've tried to change before and it hasn't worked, there's really only one reason. You get more out of not changing than you think you would get out of changing. I know that's hard to hear. Listen, I know that's hard to hear, but it is true. All of us struggle with it. I got to tell myself this every time I start to backslide. Uh, Tony Robbins is the one who taught this one to me because he said, listen, you believe you get more pleasure and avoid more pain by staying the way you are than by doing the work necessary to change. I know it sounds crazy, but when you really think about it, it's true. Why don't we all eat healthy and never overeat? Isn't it because we like the pleasure we get from the taste of the foods we know aren't good for us? Isn't it because of the pleasurable feeling we create in ourselves when we eat too much? I mean, sure, it makes us gain weight and maybe even feel sluggish, but that short-term pleasure, that overwhelms the long-term pain we know is going to come. Man, it does it for me way more than I like to admit, especially on the weekends. So our actions speak louder than all the diets we've ever promised ourselves we were gonna live by. Okay, Greg, I don't understand. If it's that hard to change, then how do people do it? Well, let me ask you some questions. When people have things that are holding them back, maybe they don't have enough money to invest. Maybe they don't feel like they're smart enough. Maybe they don't feel like they have enough connections. Whatever it is, how do they do it? In other words, how do we have people who just make average salaries starting new businesses every day in this country? They didn't have money to start it, right? How do legal immigrants who actually come to this country with nothing Open a business the first year they're here. How, how does that happen? I'm talking about people who do it without a loan or investors. How do they do it? Well, they convince themselves they have to. They decided not doing it would be more painful than doing it. So they stayed focused. They stayed focused on the long-term pleasure they knew they were going to get And how they would avoid the long-term pain of never changing. The long-term pain of never starting that business they dreamed of. The long-term pain of never moving on to that next phase of their life. So how did they do it? As I said, they convinced themselves they had to. Some saved money for years that they couldn't use on other things. Some found a way to start it in their home, slowly build it. Other people, they found a way to do it all online for almost nothing. But they found a way. And you can too. Here's something to imagine. Just think about this for a second. Imagine your child has a fatal illness and the doctors say that she only has six months to live, but if you get her the right medicine, she will be completely cured. But there's one little problem. The medicine costs $10,000 and you're broke. No one can loan you the money. Do you think you could earn an extra $10,000 in six months to save your child? Of course you could. Why? Because you would have to. And the effort you would put in because your child's life depended on it, the commitment you would put in would be at a level that nothing could stop you. See, but that's the kind of commitment you need when you decide you want to change. Not that you want to, not that it would be nice, but that you must change. And then decide you're willing to do the work required to make the change. Change starts with you. It comes from within. See, I can give you ideas and techniques to change your life, but I can't change you. All true change comes from inside you. We all struggle with it. But if you really want to change, you've got to convince yourself that you must change. All right, let's move into part three of the podcast. So much of what we do is habitual. So we can try to change, and then we fall back into these old habits. But... We can also use habits to our advantage. If we can create new good habits that keep us on course, they can help us live out our passionate purpose intentionally. New York Times investigative reporter Charles Duhigg has written a great book on this. It's called The Power of Habit, Why We Do What We Do in Life and Business. And he's joining me now on your passionate purpose. How do we get rid of the bad habit? How do we, How do we make the good habit? What have you found out?
1: Well, we're living through the golden age of understanding the neurology of habit formation right now. And what we've learned from laboratory experiments and specialists is that every habit has three components. There's a cue, which is like a trigger for an automatic behavior to start. And then there's a routine, which is the behavior itself. And then finally, a reward. And the reward is how our brain learns to remember that pattern for the cure. And for years, everyone from Aristotle to Oprah has talked about changing habits, and they've always focused on the routine, on the behavior, but what we've learned is that it's really the cues and the rewards that shape how our habits function. If you want to change a habit, you've got to look for the cues and the rewards that are causing it.
0: Yeah, it sounds like, you know, my background is in counseling psychology, and I, I was a certified behavior analyst for a while, and we really focused on what you're talking about. The the different types of reinforcements, positive and negative reinforcements, and the scheduling of these rewards that really worked when you did these uh, experiments with animals and the rats and hitting the lever to get their food and everything. And it sounds like you're saying kind of a similar stuff with us, that it's what Vegas figured out with the slot machines, right? And it's the same kind of thing that we could do to ourselves to program ourselves.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. It's exactly right. And if you once you start paying attention to it, you can really figure out how to change your own behaviors. You, you know, to use my myself as an example. You know, I had this bad cookie habit when I started reporting this book, and I'd go get a cookie every afternoon, and I felt kind of powerless over it. And so I was asking these specialists, you know, how do I change this habit? And they said, first of all, look for the cues. Right? What's triggering it? Most cues fall into one of one of a handful of categories: time of day or a certain place. And I figured out that I always had the urge to eat the cookie between about 3.15 and 3.45 in the afternoon. That that was my cue, a time of day. Mm-hmm. And then I had to figure out what the reward was. And and I thought the reward was the cookie, right, because cookies taste good. But the researcher said, no, 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 rewards are more complicated than that. It's the reward that you're hungry, in which case you know, eating an apple should do the job. You, you need the burst of energy that the sugar provides, in which case you could just have a cup of coffee. And so I experimented with different rewards, and I eventually figured out... The thing is, when I went up to the cafeteria, that's when I would socialize with other folks, right? Everyone would go up in the afternoon and kind of chat a little while. The socialization was the reward that I was craving. The cookie was just an excuse. Now every day I just go chat at someone's desk and the, the cookie habit is gone.
0: New York Times investigative reporter Charles Duhigg. Well, what about the people that say, well, it? the way you start a new habit is you start doing it, and if you can stay with it for, say – between thirty and forty days, you're going to form that new habit, and then that'll be your new positive habit. And they don't talk about these cues and everything. Did you find that that helps too, or that's all nonsense?
1: It it does. There's no formula for how many days you got to do it. Right. The more that you do it, the the stronger the habit's going to be. It's going to be easier on day three than it was on day one, and easier day twenty one than it was on day three. The key though is to give yourself a reward. If you, if you want to start exercise, for instance, when you get home from that run or from working out. Give yourself a small piece of chocolate or a nice long shower. You gotta reward yourself for the behaviors you want to encourage. Because your brain latches onto those rewards. It associates that that behavior with a reward, and that's how it builds a habit.
0: I want to give you a free gift just for listening to the podcast. It's my book. Go. So just go to GregoryBNapp.com slash go free. The link is in the show notes too. The Power of Habit, Why We Do What We Do in Life and Business, New York Times investigative reporter Charles Duhigg. Charles, in the book you talk about how these high elite athletes even have these habits, like Michael Phelps, a race day habit to win. Tell us about that.
1: That's exactly right. You know, all of Michael Phelps' life is built around habits. This is something very deliberate his coach has done. He he has the same breakfast every morning. He always stretches exactly the same way. And the reason why is they want to make him the strongest mental swimmer in the pool. They, they have him envision what the perfect race would look like, feel like, every morning and every night. And that way, when he's actually at the Olympics, when he's actually competing for a world record it sort of feels anticlimactic. It feels like exactly what he expected. In fact, that's what he'll tell reporters afterwards, because he's imagined this so much that actually executing it just feels like the habit unfolding. And we know that for high performers, this is what they do. They build habits so that your mind doesn't get in the way of your performance. By the time you get to the big show, it just feels like exactly what you expected.
0: Really cool. And we can do this for ourselves and and what we do in our daily life, the power of habit, why we do what we do in life and business, help you make the good habits and get rid of the bad habits. You can go online to thepowerofhabit.com for more. Hey, Charles, thanks for being with us today.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
0: You got it. All the best. I want to give you a free gift just for listening to the podcast. It's my book, Go. So just go to com slash go free. The link is in the show notes too. Hey, I want to encourage you that you can find and pursue your passionate purposes in every part of your life. God gave you gifts and talents that he wants you to grow and use for his glory, to serve people and to live an abundant life. Stephen Covey said, be patient with yourself. Self-growth is tender. It's holy ground. There's no greater investment. The world needs what you have to offer. If you like the podcast, please tell a friend. Let's build this thing. My name's Greg Knapp. Go to GregoryBNapp.com for more. It's down in the show notes too if you need it.